Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. What you're about to hear is what I'm going to deem the rant recordings. And the reason I do that is because these are little monologues that I do when something comes across my newsfeed or some kind of topic comes to surface that piques my interest and I rant about it. I rant about it in a relational way because I feel like we can always take that icky stuff that we see outside, bring it in reflect on it and relate to it in a way that we can gain a little bit more understanding of what's going on so we don't have to judge it. Because I truly believe that if you have enough information about something so that you can better understand it, you no longer are reaching to judge it, but to just merely let it exist as it is. And so with that, this is the rant recordings of Carl Lentz and his moral failings. Enjoy the episode. So folks, here we are again with another church scandal. And this time, we are all scrutinizing the actions of Hillsong Church pastor Carl Lentz. He's famously known as Justin Bieber's pastor. What Hillsong is claiming is that there were moral failures that took place on behalf of Carl Lentz. And Carl Lentz himself went on his Instagram the other day, and he wrote this. Our time at Hillsong NYC has come to an end. This is a hard ending to what has been the most amazing, impacting, and special chapter of our lives. Leading this church has been an honor in every sense of the word, and it is impossible to articulate how much we have loved and will always love the amazing people in this church. When you accept the calling of being a pastor, you must live in such a way that it honors the mandate, that it honors the church, and that it honors God. When that does not happen, a change needs to be made and has been made in this case to ensure that standard is upheld. Laura and I and our amazing children have given all that we have to serve and build this church over the years. I did not do an adequate job of protecting my own spirit, refilling my own soul, and reaching out for the readily available help that is available. When you lead out of an empty place, you make choices that have real painful consequences. I was unfaithful in my marriage, the most important relationship in my life, and held accountable for that. This failure is on me and me alone, and I take full responsibility for my actions. I now begin a journey of rebuilding trust with my wife, Laura, and my children in taking real time to work on and heal my own life and seek out help that I need. I am deeply sorry for breaking the trust of many people who have loved serving 
and understand that this news can be very hard and confusing for people to hear and process. I would have liked to say this with my voice to you in person because you are owed that, but that opportunity I will not have. So to those people, I pray you can forgive me and that over time I can live a life where trust is earned again. To our pastors Brian and Bobby, thank you for allowing us to lead, allowing us to thrive, and giving us room to have a voice that you have never stifled or tried to silence. Thank you for your grace and kindness, especially in this season, as you have done so much to protect and love us through this. We, the Lenz family, don't know what the next chapter will look like, but we'll walk into it together very hopeful and grateful for the grace of God. And as I said, that can be found on his Instagram page at Carl Lentz. Now, the reason that this is sticking out to me is not because, oh no, another pastor cheated on their spouse, because that's a given. I just have come to expect that. I have come to expect that whatever I've gone through in my own life, at some point in time, it will be reflected within the church, and it will be reflected in reality, because that's reality. Now, the issue I take with this is the judgment that follows, the judgment from everybody that comes as a result of somebody's private moments being splashed across the headlines. Now, I'm going to interject and go down a different path just for a moment, and I'm going to come back and, and retrace the steps back to my my orgasmic outrage over this topic. So I am freakishly obsessed with Beyonce and Rihanna, like all things Beyonce and Rihanna. Like if you go to my Instagram, that is all I want to see. I just want to look at these people. They're beautiful. They're artistic. The way they embody their fullest selves is just so damn attractive to me. And I want to imitate that confidence. So these are women that I would say I look to as my role models, as to reflections of the erotic. And I want to know everything that's going on with them. I want to know their stories. And that's how we are. But it becomes a problem because as these celebrities and famous people have said themselves, they feel like they have no privacy. And when they don't have any privacy and something is leaked from their personal life, it becomes open for scrutiny. And we all get on some moral high ground and act like we are so disappointed by how these people let us down because we were led to believe they were perfect, I think. But that's another problem. We believe that famous people, that people in the ministry, that people that are in politics are supposed to uphold some standard. And the reality is, is that they're human beings. You can put whatever label or lens over them that you want. But when we put on that fame, celebrity, famous label, it's like we are diminishing the fact that they are real people. We are creating an expectation that this person is to become this idol that we have formed in our minds. And we feel a loss or a heartache or a pain or a ping or something when something negative happens to them. And so I understand the relatability. When we watch people, when we come to know people, we can get caught up in wanting to feel something while they're feeling something. And I would admonish you to step back and really pause in just that idea for a minute. Do you do that? Do you have these expectations and standards for for leaders and for people in positions of power and for people who have made it to also then be perfect? Do you expect these people to not be any kind of a reflection 
of to who you are. Because if I'm going to walk around and I'm going to be enmeshed in the lives and, and, and the status of people that I look up to, I damn well better be willing to accept the cold truth that at some point they might fuck up because I fuck up all the damn time. And if I'm going to be putting myself out there in front of an audience and allowing space to be judged, then I'm going to want to set an example on what I expect that judgment to look like for myself. So let's re- let, let me rewrap that. I love knowing what's going on in the people's lives of those who I follow. Like I want to be a part of their story, but I shouldn't be offended when the story that I've created about them takes a different turn than what I've already written in the pages of my book. Does that make sense? Like we need to stop expecting people that we see on the TV to be perfect. That includes pastors and ministers. Now, this will trace us back to what upsets me. So many people have spoken to this particular topic of Carl Lenz and the moral failure and the infidelity as though like, oh, it's a, t- it's a tough shame, you know, and I'm so glad his wife is extending grace, but this is what the church has to do. That's where the problem is rooted, okay? When we want to talk about systemic issues and how we change them, we actually have to go into the system where these expectations and standards are being created and fucking smash them. Because damn it, I am tired of people expecting a pastor to not fuck up. I think that is the biggest disappointment to everything that I've come to understand about religion and about Christianity and about churchianity is these unlikely, impossible expectations that people project out onto those that are ministering to them, pastoring over them, sharing the good word with them, is that they expect them to be perfect. Did you fuck up? Did you do something wrong? Shame on you. You can no longer lead or serve or or influence me because you're a moral failure. But baby, baby, we are all moral failures, if we're going to put it like that. I mean, I can speak to this from a personal level. I cheated on my husband, okay? I cheated on him three times before I said I do. And the night before we got married, he asked me if I had ever been unfaithful to him. And I lied to his face. And then not even a year after we were married, I cheated on him again. And the result of that was a baby in a really difficult and challenging marriage that followed after that. But I have a personal connection to infidelity and the way the church handles it. Because I was inside that whole situation. And so when I see other people go after someone like this and think that it's okay to end a person's career, to end a person's influence, to end a person's teaching position, to end a person's political career, to end a person's shot at the next Oscar-nominated Hollywood blockbuster, that worries me. Because we walk around and we say, I am enough as I am. I am perfect as I am right now, but then you turn around and the people that don't show you what you believe perfection is supposed to be have somehow failed you and now you have to reject them and everything about them and their career and their status and their success 
has to also be diminished and wiped away. I just, does that make any sense to you? Does that sound loving? Does that sound like something Jesus would do? No. And the thing is, is people are like, well, the church needs to uphold these moral standards because otherwise abuse and exploitation could take place and manipulation. And I totally get that. With power comes great responsibility, and people that are power-hungry want to continue taking and holding on to their power, and that means they do whatever it takes. And that sometimes hurts people and exploits people and abuses people and assaults people. And I'm not trying to ignore that. I'm not trying to condone that behavior or excuse it. But why is it that we always go to the negative whenever a scandal surrounding the topic of sex surfaces? Like, what is it about sex that when we hear something like a story of infidelity, we are immediately clinging to the systematic approaches of the patriarchy and puritanical mentalities, and we're going, yep, that was the right thing to do. I mean, even those of us who fall under that deconstruction, reconstruction category, you're still kind of clinging to those ideas that you claim to have rejected when you allow your judgments to be exposed like that because you're demonstrating that you do have an expectation of perfection even though you yourself can't ever attain the perfection that you demand of others. Doesn't that sound silly? I remember a couple years back, Billy Graham's grandson, this is named Julian or something like that, he had adultery in his marriage, and he was also overseeing a ministry, and he wanted to walk through it and, 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 and grow with it and, and, and work on the challenges of it and rebuild it with an audience. He wasn't, he didn't want to hide. And what did people say? <gasps> the grandson of Billy Graham? Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, Billy Graham was never like that. And so we have this expectation that his grandson, but I mean, like, why do we do that? We create expectations, generational expectations. And what happens when they fuck up? What, what, what happens to these people? We don't think about that. We think about our own feelings. We think about what I'm feeling to find out that someone that I trusted in to tell me, to bring me the good news of Jesus. Like, how, how do they do that? They weren't bringing the good news of Jesus to their own house. And so how dare they? And so we feel like we are morally wronged. Like somebody has exploited us and manipulated us and coerced us to believe something that might be false. You know, and I remember when my parents started going through their divorce, my sisters all took on this mentality of like, now everything I thought about marriage is a lie because it didn't work out between my parents. And I thought, what? Just because their marriage ended didn't mean that the whole duration of the time they were together that it was somehow unsuccessful. They successfully raised four daughters. They successfully endured a marriage for 30 years. Like, what is the timeline of success? And why do we think that three decades doesn't constitute a success? I mean, that's how it was for me. I looked at it like, oh my gosh, when somebody fails at something, Take adultery, for instance. When someone is unfaithful in their marriage, what do most people do? I'm, it's over. It's over. I'm done. Really? Just that one fuck up and you walk away? Haven't they fucked up in a million other ways? But this one time they fucked up because uh, of sex. And so that's it. And so 
God, what kind of limits do, would, do, are we putting around sex and the practice of it? Just some things to think about. So one point he said, this is my failure and mine alone. I disagree with him. And my infidelity, it wasn't just my fault. And it took me a long time to come to that. That doesn't mean that I'm blaming my husband. I'm not blaming anyone. But it was a consequence of every influence in my life that led up to that moment. It was the compilation of experiences, of messaging, of narratives, of societal expectations, of of non-conforming expectations, of a mixture of everything being imposed upon me that led to me to make that decision that I made after I was married to cheat on my husband. And yes, I will say that my husband was part and partial responsible for what happened because if the relationship is good, then both people are feeling that way and are in agreement with one another and are acknowledging it and are verbalizing their awareness of it. This wasn't the case with me and my husband. He knew damn well how upset I was that I felt second to the military. And when we looked back and saw all of the instances of infidelity, they all took place when he had to make a decision to separate from me and be there and commit to the military. And that was hard for me to accept. I didn't like that he always put the country ahead of me. And then when we moved out here to the farm, that was another uh, there was another narrative that I was seeing play out is that the farm came first. And now let's let's pull this back a little bit and, and, and see how this is reflected within society, because I'm not alone in these feelings and I'm not alone in these behaviors or actions or consequences. OK, so we'd like to say things like, you know, oh, it was all my fault, da, 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 da. But sometimes our actions are a result of the consequence we were born into of the consequences and the circumstances and the constructs that we are influenced by. And so instead of saying I'm the victim, collectively, we're a victim of our environment. Now, that doesn't mean we have to play the victim. That doesn't mean we have to ask people to feel sorry for us and pity us. But what we can acknowledge is that we're all influenced by outside sources that combined add to the burden and the weight of our life and our existence and sometimes are the result of the reason why we we make the dumb decisions that we do. It's as simple as that. Now, true leadership looks like failing and getting back up and showing the people that are following your leadership how to do it. I don't approve of these ideas that when someone screws up, even like Carl Lentz, that they're just cut out and, and, and excluded from an audience and from parishioners and from being able to still be a positive influence on someone. One fuck up does not mean you can no longer be a positive person or a positive influence. I I I, I don't know how many times I have to remind you, I screw up all the time. Does that mean that I'm not good enough to lead people? Does that mean that I'm not good enough to teach people? If I can, if I can acknowledge 
that I mess up, that I have a misstep. Don't you want to see how I correct that? Don't we want to see how Carl Lentz corrects this? Don't we want to see how people correct their missteps? Don't we want that? I mean, if we're not showing people that, we're not providing them with a model to imitate to pick themselves back up. And then everybody's dependent on what? Everybody else to tell them what they should do instead of walking through what they have done and realizing that their walk in it isn't the wrong walk. It's on the path that it was meant to be for you. Our mistakes were meant to happen to us. That is how the divine universe loves us because we can make a mistake and look, we're still here. We're still here. I want to see leadership include missteps miscalculations, and I want to see it corrected. And I would think that the church would want to utilize this moral failing as an exercise to show people how you can grow after you fall, how you can grow after your your bad fruits have been snipped away, so to speak, right? I just wish that the church could get on board with this. I wish our collective society, I wish our collective world could offer more grace, especially those of us that are in the circles where grace is the practice of Jesus, where grace is what we hope to receive from God. If we are hoping to receive grace from God, if we are hoping that We don't spend eternity in a hellfire if we're hoping that we're not annihilated, if these are the eschatologies that you believe in. If we want to believe in a God that extends grace, shouldn't we extend it first? That is the question I ask.